my son last week, he was at this, uh, this leadership camp with his school. He's part of a, a leadership crew at John Rennie High School. Uh, that's the crew. And uh, this, this crew specifically asked my son if I could show this. I do, I do ask for permission at times, just so you know. So um, uh, this crew specifically was the workshop leader crew. So they, the great, there's a, a small group of grade 10s that are given uh, the full responsibility to lead a leadership camp for grade 7 and 8s, about 150 kids. Uh, and so the, these were the workshop leaders. And if you, could, if you can see, there's, there's a real cool uniqueness to them. You can go to the next slide that's a little closer. And um, if, you, if you would like slowly analyze the picture, that guy's talking on a banana uh, up on top. Uh, this girl kind of is really interesting because like her hat and her kind of monkey ears, she has a monkey necklace, uh, you know, kind of funky sunglasses and a couple of other things. You, I think the word that can describe them is weird, Right? <laughs> That's kind of, the, but that's okay. There, there's a good weirdness to it. Uh, if you look closely, you can see the weirdness there. But here's the real beauty of this small group of people, this team of leaders. They are a team. They they were working as a community. They had a sense of purpose. They brought accomplishment this week together in their weirdness, in their unique abilities and and capacities and giftings. It's amazing to see stuff like this happen. And as I describe a group like this, I, I, I wrote this phrase down, and it's a peculiar people with particular purpose. Peculiar people with particular purpose. Say that really fast and you'll get messed up. Um, and and I, that phrase came to mind as I was thinking about this week's theme as we are tracking through this series called The Apostles' Creed. For a couple of months now, we've been walking through this ancient document called the Apostles' Creed that the church uh, used and lived out of and used as a framework to help keep them grounded in who they were and what they understood about God. And last week, we started the third section of the creed, which affirmed this belief in the Holy Spirit. And uh, here's, here's, I want to just read this last part of the creed together and continue with a, another line here today. So let's read just this section. It says, I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Last week, we focused on that first phrase, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But out of what the, the, God's very Spirit does, we see an overflow into God creating community, reconciliation. And we're going to talk about that next week. And, and as this, this, this creed wraps up, and today we're going to focus on this one line, that the, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. And I know for some of us um, that don't have um, a non-Protestant background, that even that word Catholic, I'm going to get to it later on in this morning's uh, talk, but what I want to do is look at this whole phrase together. What does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be God's people? And think about it. Why would a document recited by the church have to say something about the church? Think about it. Like, when we talk about what we believe in, often we're talking about God, we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about the work of his spirit, we're talking about uh, what Jesus does in our lives. And, and maybe we're thinking, why talk about what some people call the container of God's people and just talk about God? It's kind of like if I walk into a, towards a cafe and uh, here in town, and I, I get to the cafe, and the guy behind the counter starts telling me about the business and the machinery and the counters and, and starts telling me about the shop. And, and I'm just thinking, like, I really came here for an espresso and a sandwich. Could you please make me that? 
right? Like, don't tell me about the shop. Just give me my espresso. Give me my sandwich. There's, you got a sandwich press there? Cool. And so I think sometimes we might see this phrase and say, why would the creed talk about the church and not mainly focus on what God is doing in the world? Because, and here's the thing, the church is not just a container. The church is not just a bounded set that keeps people together. The church, in its essence, is part of our relationship with God. The church, and its very purpose and existence, is part of our relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In fact, all of Scripture points to a relationship with God. We see it right from the creation narrative as God creates humanity in his his own image. We see that even as humanity veers off and he, he, he chooses someone like Abraham to bless the nations and to see a nation come out of Abraham. So we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then the nation of Israel. God's always working with the people, always working with community, always working with, with people that, that are, are working with him in his purposes in the world. We see that come to light in Jesus as he chooses 12 disciples to be with him, to grow with him. And then as Jesus sends them out and the church is birthed. In fact, the last pages of scripture talk about all God's people sitting around a table having a feast. All scripture points to relationship with God and points to the fact that God's plan for reaching the world has a church. I've often quoted this phrase, the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. God's mission has a church. We are part of God's mission. When I say the word church, what, well, let's play a little wordplay here. When I say the word church, what, what word comes to mind? You can, like, shout it out. Don't leave me hanging, come on. Body? Anybody else? Bell tower? Okay, you can ask Eric what, why he means by that. He's, I'm sure there's something working in his brain around that. That's cool. Uh, maybe the process of something, but... Anybody? I heard another one. Bride of Christ. People. Cool. What, what is, when you say church in culture, what do people, what words do you think people connect to the church? Oh, that was, everybody's talking now. <laughs> one at a time, somebody over here? Buildings? Christians here? Religion? Togetherness, even out in the world? Cool, okay, that's good to know. So, so, you know, there's probably a contrast, right? What those who are part of the church, the words they describe the church with, and those that aren't part of the church, maybe that feel a little antagonistic towards the church, maybe see the church in other ways. There's many metaphors we see in Scripture about the church. We see God as Father and us as His children. We see Jesus as shepherd and the church as His flock. We see the Son of God and the, or, you know, Christ and the bride of Christ. We see the kingdom and and, or the king and the kingdom. Uh, we see the image or metaphor of, of Christ as the head and the church as his body. In fact, the word church, the original word church is the word ecclesia, which means the assembled people, assembled together for a purpose. That's the, the kind of metaphors we see in scripture. Today, because we've talked about this before, and I'd really encourage you, we did a series a couple of years back called Ecclesia, and I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that if you, if you weren't here, or just to refresh your memory. 
But today I want to, I want to use the words from the creed to help us understand why would the creed use these words to describe the church. And the first word that's used is the word holy. The holy church. And don't let that word scare you because maybe at that on the outside it's like, oh, wow, does that mean I need to be holy? Does that mean I need to be perfect? Well, in some ways, no, you don't have to be perfect, but there is a call to holiness. But the word holy is bigger than just our behavior, although it includes our behavior. It's, it's bigger than just our ethics or values, but it might include that as well. And I think the, the, where I want to get this understanding from is John chapter 17. Jesus is praying for his disciples. One of the longest prayers recorded in scripture is John 17, an amazing prayer. And it's a prayer of Jesus specifically for his disciples. And he prays for his current, present disciples who are with him at the moment. And he prays for those who will believe in him through their message. So he's praying for future disciples at the same time. And one of the key parts of this prayer is found in the middle of it. And look look what Jesus prays for them. We are introduced to a word here. Sanctify him. Now this is part of his prayer. So he's praying, God, sanctify them. Speaking about his disciples by truth or by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. And that word sanctify, we could replace it with the phrase as those Jesus saying, make them holy. Make them holy. And, and when you put that together, it's this idea of setting them apart. Jesus says, just as I sanctify myself, as I set myself apart for your purposes, Lord, set them apart for your purposes. Make them holy, pure, sanctified for a unique purpose because they're going to be a peculiar, particular people with a purpose. Part of that is reflecting Jesus. Part of that is that our lives would reflect the nature of Jesus, talked about last week, the whole goal, part of the, one of the biggest goals of the Holy Spirit is to make us more like Jesus. When, when Jesus says, sanctify them, set them apart, part of that is make them unique in this world. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to Corinth, now, man, this church in Corinth was one of the mess, most messed up churches in the New Testament. I mean, if you read through Corinthians 1 and 2, you recognize like, wow, they were dealing with a lot of junk. So they by, were not perfect by far. Right, But Paul speaks to them and encourages them, teaches them, calls them into something. But look at how Paul addresses them in the first words of this Corinthian letter. He says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus Christ and called to be his holy people. The Corinthians were really had some struggles going on. A lot of immoral things happening. But they were growing in Christ and learning what it means to follow Jesus and slowly allowing the spirit to work in them. But look how Paul addresses them to this church, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, to those who are set apart to be made holy and called to be his holy people, his set apart people. So the church is called to pursue holiness partly because the church is called to be uniquely set apart. So we get this idea to be a peculiar people, a set-apart people. As I was reading this week, I came across across this tagline for one of the cities in the States, Austin, Texas. Anybody ever been to Austin, Texas? 
One person. I have never been there, but I have friends that live there and colleagues that, that uh, are working in ministry, serving in ministry there. And one of the phrases that I came up, and maybe Steve, you can attest to this, it's a tagline for Austin says, Keep Austin weird. Um, you know? And, and uh, apparently you can get these t-shirts and paraphernalia everywhere. There's this, this sense, there's this unique part of Texas because Austin doesn't feel like the rest of Texas. Um, some of it is because of their younger demographic and there's a creative class there and an artistic group. There's a, a, a high innovation and in technology. There's this fresh expression within the, the state of Texas that looks different than Texas. It's kind of like they might say, you know, we live in Texas, but we're not of Texas. Have you ever heard Jesus tell that to the disciples? Be in the world, but not of the world. Now, I have no clue if what they're doing down in Austin is great stuff or not, but I love this, this phrase that comes out, this motto that was developed by the Small Business Association in Texas. Keep Austin weird. Keep Austin weird. Or keep Austin unique. Or let's not lose our flavor. Let's not lose who we are. There's this particularity, this, this peculiarity about us, and we don't want to lose this. We want to stay, in a sense, this unique expression. Michael Bird writes about the church. He says, the church can only make a difference when it is different. The church can only make a difference when it is different. And that's, that's part of what it means to be a holy people, to be a set-apart, called-out people. And another side of this holiness is why we are set apart, and it's to be sent out. So not only are we set apart, that's one side of holiness. There's a purpose to be set apart, and that's to be sent. This particular purpose. Here's what, what Jesus says to his disciples. He's, this is after the resurrection. He comes and meets with them. They're just amazed that he's alive. And he has this conversation with them. And one of the pieces, the parts of his conversation, this is what he says to them. Peace be with you. And that word peace is a loaded term. This sense of the wholeness of God's kingdom, the beauty of who God is, the holiness of God. Peace be with you. Then Jesus says to them, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. There's this connection between receiving the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us and works in us to be sent out. This idea that even connection to last week, God's very own spirit indwells those who put their faith in Jesus and then by God's very own spirit, he sends us out into the world. And we see this even in Jesus' words to his disciples. I'm sending you out. Here, receive the Holy Spirit. And we can make a connection to the book of Acts where Jesus says, don't leave this place. Keep praying until God's Holy Spirit falls on you in power so you can be my witnesses to the nations. To be set apart is to be sent out. And the Holy Spirit gives birth to the church and its mission. And so here we have this, this phrase I started with at the beginning, a peculiar people for a particular purpose. Don't worry, we're not selling monkey uh, necklaces at the end so you don't, you don't have to be that kind of peculiar but there's this idea that we are called to be set apart and sent L- listen how, how Peter tells the church when he writes to them in 1 Peter chapter 2 and here's just two verses verse 9 and 12 and I think it brings this whole idea of set apart and sent together first he reminds them of who they are he's writing to the church who they feel marginalized 
Peter calls them aliens and strangers in the world that they live in. But he says, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. This is this set-apart idea that, that the church is called into. And then later on he says, live such good lives among the pagans, or in that, the word pagan in that culture was basically the culture, like the world around you. Live such good lives among the world around you that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. Here's this idea of being set apart and being sent out. Being a, a particular, peculiar people, in a sense, specially prized possession of God to be sent out into the world for his purposes. And this brings this idea of what it means to be holy. And of course, when someone gets that, someone does, you don't even have to be told, um, hey, why don't you grow into this way or this way? Or maybe you don't have to be specifically said, oh, you got to look like this, this, or this. No, there's something in you that you say, you realize I'm God's chosen people. I'm set apart for a purpose. Lord, grow my heart. Help me to become who you're calling me to be. Help me to reflect the person of Jesus. Help me to grow the kind of character and fruit of the spirit that that would enable me to live out this holy, set-apart, sent-out kind of life. That's part of what it means when, when the creed says the church is a holy church. It's part of what it means to be part of the church. Now we understand that even at Westside we say we're calling people to the core of what it means to follow Jesus, but we know that around that there's a community of faith, of people who are, all, who are on journey, who are discovering, who are exploring, who are uh, maybe far from God in so many ways, but interested in God in another way. And, and so our communities, in a sense, wide to allow people in their exploring process. But the heart of the bride of Christ is this idea to be set apart and sent out in holiness. And then it leads to this. And I think the next word is a word that trips us up, at least in this version of the creed, a holy Catholic church. And I know it trips some of you up. I know that some of the people, at least four or five people told me, Dave, when you introduced this series and we started reading this creed, I really like, I started, my, my hand was shaking when, you, when we were saying the word Catholic, you know? And uh, I had even a younger person say, you know, when we, when we came across that line in the creed, I, I didn't say it. I said, you didn't say it? How come? And so I, was, I could just imagine people saying like, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church. And, uh, and so, and, and I understand, I understand, especially if, if maybe you have a Catholic background or maybe you came out of a Catholic background and understood the work of Jesus in a fresh way. Um, I know for myself, my family, not my parents, because they came to Christ at a very young age, uh, like, like adolescent, before they were 10 actually, but their parents came to faith. Uh, and in Italy at that time, in, in these little towns, uh, if you expressed your, your Christian faith in any other way but the Catholic church, at times you were persecuted. Like my dad got hit over the head from the nun a couple of times at the, at the, at the school because he didn't express his faith the way the church expressed it. And because they held their Bibles at home and they were reading their Bibles at home, sometimes somebody would like throw a rock in the window and say, hi, you guys aren't allowed your Bible in your... Like there was this idea then that, that like... There was stuff going on that was very, very negative. And, and there's this idea that, oh, I would, could never associate myself with the Catholic Church. But here's one thing you can take solace in. This is a Catholic with a little C. Okay? 
And, and it's just a word in the dictionary. Catholic is just a word in the dictionary. Um, it's not C, capital C. And of course, if you're Catholic and you're visiting with us today, don't worry. We're really glad you're here. But that's okay. But, here, but here's what this word means. And it's, it's just a word that means universal. The word Catholic or Catholicity. I don't think I said that right. Uh, the word Catholic means, means universal, means widespread. And, and this, the, the idea of the church being Catholic, small c, is an overflow of being holy. Because if we are set apart, sent by God on mission into the world to spread the gospel, there's going to be a universality of the church right? There's going to be a Catholic side of the church in the sense that it's not just in one place, in one time, in one little area, but it's spread out all over the place because it connects us to God's global family. Now, I understand the Roman Catholic church has certain distinctions, and we're we're not going to talk about all those today. But I want us to, to just grasp this, that the idea of even Roman Catholicism is a later development in all of church history. Now, it's an old development if we start from today and go backwards. But from when Jesus rose from the dead and the Spirit birthed the church, there's several hundreds, uh, hundreds of years or centuries before we actually have what's known as the Roman Catholic Church. But before that ever happened, and when this creed was existent and often used, the word Catholic meant that the church spread out universally and that the church was meant for the nations. Listen to Jesus' words when he calls the disciples to go out. He says in, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20 and 19, some of you maybe know this phrase, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Well, obviously, that meant beyond Jerusalem. Obviously, that meant beyond their little town, Obviously, it meant beyond their little circle. It meant all nations. And the implication of nations means that the church would grow and spread and pop up in different cultures and pop up in different languages and pop up in different communities and ethnic groups and would spread out. And, and, and the church would have this global expression that at the heart of it was Jesus, but in some pockets it might look a little different because it popped up in in a Greek language, or it popped up in Cappadocia, or it popped up in Syria, or it popped up in Rome, or it popped up in Egypt, in Alexandria. In fact, the early church, the first century church, saw themselves as this worldwide movement of networked churches in Palestine, Syria, Asia Minor, Rome, Greece, and Italy. I love how even... Paul, and this is, imagine this, in the 50s and 60s of the first century, he's already talking like this. Listen to how Paul writes to these churches. Here's to the church of Corinth. To the church of God in Corinth. We already read this, right? To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted the church in Corinth to realize, guys, you're not the only ones. There's other people who are following Jesus to all God's people everywhere. Listen to what he says to the Colossian church in chapter 1, verse 6. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Right in this verse, we get this beautiful idea of what the gospel does. It comes into someone's heart. That person grows. They begin to share this amazing message and a small community forms around that. Well, that's that second half of the verse. Just as 
just as the gospel has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. But it's, he's saying it's gone beyond you, guys. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. It's, it's becoming universal. One of, the, one of the things I love about the gospel and I love about Christianity is, is that it is so not ethnocentric. It is not connected to any ethnicity. The church is in every place in the world and not mainly because of ethnic migration. It's in every place in the world because the DNA of the gospel is spread as people shared the gospel. So you have Turkish people um, meeting in small places in homes as they're persecuted, but they love Jesus and following Jesus. And you have people in Syria, you have people in Iran and Lebanon and people in Asia and people in, in Africa and Haiti and Europe and North America and Latin America and all over every place on earth. Often there's an expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul had a big vision 2,000 years ago. He's like, the gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. Now, it officially wasn't all over the world yet, but it expanded all over the world. And here's the beauty that happens when we understand the universality of the gospel is that we get to see the gods at work in people that aren't like us. What I mean not like us, I don't mean not Christian like us. I mean not Canadian like us, not Montreal like us. Not whatever ethnic background you are like us. You know, I, for me, I grew up in a, in a church that I loved my church experience growing up. And, and um, it was a great church, um, but it was also had a mission towards Italians, which was fine. I mean, Italians need Jesus too. And so maybe more than other groups. But, but, but here, here's the deal. Like Part of me also didn't often realize until I was older that there's people that weren't Italian that love Jesus. <laughs> Or people that, you know, weren't in my vicinity that, that loved Jesus. It started to, to grow my mindset a little bit as I explored the church, first around the city, then around the province, then around Canada, and then around the world. I started to recognize, oh, they're not exactly like me, but I know they love Jesus. And what it has done for me, and I believe why the creed is vital, is because it helps us understand God's at work in other people. God's at work in other countries. And I or we don't have a corner on how we express God's truth. Of course, we always want to be at the core of what it means to be Christian. But we don't have a corner on that, in a sense. And I want us to just, I want us to understand that. Because even in this room, many of you have come to faith from different backgrounds. And some of the ways that you express your faith partly is influenced by your background. The hope is that we all grow into being more and more like Jesus. But I think we can get that. And here's what can happen. Too often we can believe that we're the only right ones, right? Too often we can believe, I, know, I think I'm the only right one. I, imagine if I was the only right one. Imagine if only what Dave Manifold said was the core gospel. I, I know some of you want to leave right now. It's just to say, right? It's, it's impossible. Now, I think, I'm, I'm being honest, I think I have a healthy understanding of myself. I think I'm fully aware that I love Jesus and we preach the gospel well at Westside. But I'd be, you'd think I'm crazy if I said, I am right on all theological issues. So run it by me. You know? Um, so what that means is, if I can't be 100% right, and, what I, and I don't mean off of the gospel, but I mean in some of the ways that we maybe 
interpret or live out the faith, then that means I can learn from other people. That means that these other people, whether it's different denominations or different uh, parts of the church and different parts of the world, I can then begin to learn from them and they can expose my blind spots. You know, um, certain denominational groups expose our blind spots. Pentecostals for the Christian world expose the blind spot of neglecting the Holy Spirit and have helped the church globally recognize the spirits at work. And, and uh, some Anabaptist groups have, have helped the church expose the blind spot of, of maybe being too connected politically and not serving the world in tangible, practical ways. And some Baptist groups have you know, held the Bible to this high regard, and I think we all do, but in some ways like, oh, well, yeah, maybe they've exposed my blind spot. Maybe I should be really reading the scriptures. Anglicans have helped us you know, look, at, look at old prayers, like from the common book of prayer, and say, oh, there's some richness to this. And, and Lutherans have helped us you know, recognize that, and just this focus on justification by faith, that I cannot achieve salvation by myself. You know? All those groups of expose, can expose our blind spots when we read the scriptures. And that's a beautiful thing because it creates a humility in us. Now, the way that we stay true to the gospel is we straight, stay true to Jesus and we stay true to apostolic teaching from the early apostles. And we do our best. That was cute. I loved how that happened. That was amazing. <laughs> See, they expose our blind spots. We can learn from her. Um, so that's why the church is an ecclesia, this assembled group of people. I'm going to ask the team to come up because we want to close with um, communion this morning. And, and I know I'm talking longer and longer. I didn't expect to talk this long. So let me kind of try and wrap this up um, sooner. But here's the beauty of Jesus. The, the word ecclesia, right? The assembled group of Christians, Christ followers, that happens locally. That happens locally like us, Westside, and other local churches. It happens regionally, like we're trying to connect with the West Island network, and, and, and how can we be an expression in the city of, of unity? It happens globally, in big and small and rural, urban, Asian, African, Western, Eastern, Middle Eastern places. And how does that happen? Because Jesus is our DNA. The gospel becomes our DNA. And... That means that the church is not just an organization. We're not McDonald's opening up franchises. The church is not uh, just a religious group, and especially not a religious group that forces people to look Christian or follow Christ. But the church is a spiritual body with Jesus at the head and at the center that keeps us together and grows us together. And the future picture of the church is amazing because the future picture of the church is every tribe and nation and language and tongue. And I have a feeling that as much as I think I know a lot of stuff, I have a feeling that when I, I head into eternity, that when all the tribes and nations are exposed of who they are, I have a feeling I'm going to be very humbled. And I feel that some of my other blind spots will be exposed by the light of Jesus and the experience of Christians that have faced much more than I have ever faced in my lifetime. I feel that that's going to be the case for me. And I hope that I welcome it gladly because it'll show me even more who God is and who Jesus is. Um, it's just so amazing. You guys can maybe start playing as we close. And when I, was, uh, I went to Thailand a few years ago and I remember I flew in really late. It was 2.30 in the morning. 
But, but I knew that it was my only day in Bangkok. It was a Sunday. So it was, I thought, okay, you know what? I'm only in Bangkok once. Let me get to a church. I know there's other stuff I'd like to see in Bangkok. But I thought it'd be really cool to hang out with a church in Bangkok. So I got up at like 6.30. I only slept three, four hours. I had tried to prepare ahead of time. It was this church called New Song. It was a small little church that met underneath a cafe. Uh, in a, obviously, I'd never been to Bangkok. So I was like taking down directions. I got on the subway and the train. And I walked down these streets that I've never seen before. And I never forget, like just walking into this little basement cafe where this church was meeting in the other part of the world. And I thought, and we started to worship and I, we started to interact a little bit. And I, and I recognized, I said, oh my goodness, this is, this is the universal church. Like five days later, we had flown up to the, the part of Thailand uh, near Chiang Mai and Chiang Rai, right on the border of Laos. And there was these, these Christian leaders from Laos that came to join us. They're often persecuted in Laos and they came into Thailand to be with us. And we spent five days with them learning, praying. I saw all these, these, uh, these you know, bivocational lay leaders just sitting on the floor in a circle with their Bibles open, taking notes, writing, talking to each other. And I remember going down to sit beside them, listening to their, like I didn't understand their full language, but I listened to their hearts. And I recognized these people love Jesus. This is the holy universal church across the world. It's just beautiful. And we've seen this happen over and over again. When I was a teenager, a a mission team from Europe came over and um, to our church and they hung out for a couple of weeks. And I remember meeting European Christians for the first time. It was amazing. It's amazing. I had a piano in my living room. Some people, they were very musical. They were playing songs, we were singing, worshiping, talking, laughing, joking. I realized this is like family. This is like, we're, we're like family here. And of course, we've seen it in local ways when people confess their sins to one another and they're embraced and loved and the gospel's poured into them, right? So as we, as we close today and, and come to take these elements together, I, I want us to recognize that we are part of not just a local expression of the body of Christ and not just a regional expression, but a global expression of the body of Christ. And this communion of the saints that we speak about is that bond that we have with other believers. Of course, there's going to be times where we think differently and we need to wrestle through what the gospel means. That's important. We always want to do that. But also to be humbled and let our blind spots be exposed by the church around the world. Amen? Paul writes to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 to 6. I want to read it with you on the screen. It's... I love how many times he uses the word um, one in this passage. Talks about one faith and one Lord. I don't know if Abigail, you can get it there. It's towards the end. And uh, as we're taking the bread and the wine today, I I want us to remember that as we take these elements, as we break this bread, as we share this wine, there's a oneness here and there's a oneness in Christ's body. Um, There's a oneness with that church that Paul was writing to in the first century. There's a oneness with those early believers. There's a oneness with um, Christ followers who are being persecuted in in Egypt or uh, the Middle East. There is a oneness with this um, small church that still meets in Bangkok these days and these local Christians from Laos. There's a oneness there. And I want to read this together before we take these elements. Let's read it. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. 
the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. Amen. As we have the bread in our hands, we're reminded that Jesus says we're his body. Um, I love the fact that these days, I believe this bread came from one loaf this morning as, as um, it was broken up. And this idea of one loaf broken up into pieces, all connected to Jesus. He's the bread of life. He's our source, our sustenance. But he also binds us together. He also gives us communion with God reconciled and communion or community with one another. Now let's celebrate as we take the bread together. Jesus said this was like his blood being poured out the DNA of the gospel is Jesus the DNA in our spiritual blood is Jesus his blood poured out for us his blood that allows the world to be reconciled to him his blood that forgives us that transforms us his death, his resurrection that justifies us by our faith by nothing we can do as we drink this together let's just, let's celebrate this amazing truth what Christ has already done for us we embrace and his spirit leads us forward to live this life let's drink this together close, I want to just commission you out with two words. Would you go out today deciding to engage the body of Christ, to serve, to give, to be involved, to be participants in his body relationally, in mission? And here's the reason why, because God has sent us out. We're the the expression of him in our world. We are the incarnational expression of Jesus. So we engage with one another. We engage in this church. We engage tangibly, not just by showing up. That's one way. We engage tangibly in ministry, in service, in compassion, in hospitality. And then we express his, his nature to the world, both in proclamation and in word and deed. Amen? Engage. Express. 
Uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you for how the creed has pointed us back into your story. We are set apart, sent out, called out ones. Your ecclesia, called to be holy. Lord, empower us by your spirit to pursue holiness, to pursue the life you long for us, to become more and more like Jesus. Help us, God, open our eyes, expose our blindness where necessary so we can become all that you have called us to be in Jesus, so that we can uh, grow in the gospel in the fullest sense that you long for us, Lord. And in a humble way, God, we recognize that in our limited sense, um, on this side of eternity, Lord, our revelation um, can sometimes feel dim or blurred, but one day you will show us fully. And until that, we cling to the cross, we cling to the gospel, we cling to the power of your grace working in us and growing in us, Lord. Lord, for anyone here today who longs to begin a relationship with you, reveal yourself to them, God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going we're gonna to say this last phrase off the screen before we, as we head out today. It's this prayer that was found in the New Testament church uh, a document called, called the Didache. And um, I, just, I found this prayer just fits so well with how we can close today. So let's, let's say this prayer together as we close, all right? As this broken bread was scattered upon the mountains and being gathered together became one, so may thy church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into thy kingdom. For thine is the glory and power through Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.